Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and I'm joined by Tom Dorian. And Tom, why are you not a deacon? (laughs) Is that a good question? I don't know. I don't think I've been called for that yet. Calling Tom Dorian. (laughs) Calling Tom Dorian. Peer pressure. (laughs) Peer pressure. You'd make a great deacon. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Hopefully other people have told you that, but... Anyway, uh, pre-Deacon Tom, I am, I am going to uh, – we got a great show today. Always. We, we are going to talk about Mary. You know, how can you not have a great show if you're talking about her? Absolutely. Seriously. Yeah. The most beautiful of creatures. Absolutely. Right? And she yes. is the, the epitome of humanity. It's, it's, she's what we would all aspire to be. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to talk specifically about uh, this – Feast day, the feast of the Assumption okay. of Mary. Yep, and uh, just what it's all about. Okay, because a lot of people, even Catholics, sort of misunderstand what's going on here. Yep, and and of course we know that this feast falls on August the fifteenth. Correct. Right, and also we know that this is a holy day of obligation. It is. Big and word. Now, yeah, it's but for word. for those of you who are afraid of obligation, it's right. a holy day of opportunity. <laughs> right. So for those of you out there that you know. Don't want to uh, be obligated you to do anything. You say that with such political correctness. It's yeah, disgusting. Yeah, I'm saying that. Well, well, you know what? Here, it's, it's an opportunity that if you don't do, you go, you go to hell. Yeah. You well, know? there so, you go. There, that's in a nutshell. Now, I'm teasing. I know. I'm teasing. But, but kind of. You know, but you know, here's a here's a beautiful thing about this obligation. Yes, sir. To go is that, uh, and you've said it beautifully before about an obligation. Really, it's an it's. It's, it is an opportunity, but it's it's an opportunity for grace. But it's kind of an obligation. That it's a good thing. It is a good thing. You know, it's like your uh, your. It's Mother Church looking out for us. Amen. Yeah, that's what she wants us to have these graces, right? And that's why she calls us that we are obliged yeah. to go and receive this grace and to to you know to basically answer Mary when she says all generations to call her blessed. Well, right. we we come together on certain feast days to call her blessed. Absolutely. Right, and to invoke her name and to ask her to pray for us to intercede on our behalf. Yep. Right, so this is a holy day of obligation. Now, of course, we have to be clear because when we're in it gets confusing when we're in the United States. Right. If if this the the 15th falls on a <clears throat> on a Saturday, Saturday or, a, or a Monday. Saturday or Saturday a Monday. Monday. Oh, that's right. Yeah, then it's then we are released from the obligation. Right. But we're told that. But we can still go. That's true. And it's still a beautiful thing. It is. So right. it's, a, another, it's an opportunity for grace. Yes. Anyway, so what are we talking about with yes. the assumption? What are we saying about the assumption? What we're saying essentially is that Mary's – we're talking about Mary's bodily assumption into heaven. We're talking about the fact that she was not corrupted. Exactly. Right? And, and what we're saying, though, is – how beautiful this is one of the reasons why we enjoy this so much and the grace that we receive is we actually can see this sort of as a foretaste of our own bodily resurrection uh, after we die. Right. Exactly. So this is something we can look forward to again. Mary is the epitome. She is, is she is the most beautiful of all Christians. She's the first Christian. She's uh, at the highest level of Christianity. She's what we all want to be. And so we see in her bodily assumption, we see the potential for our own bodily resurrection. So it's something that we should all keep in mind and how important that is. Now, what are we talking about when we talk about the assumption 
Because I, I don't know if I was I, if you you know, were like me in school, we were taught not to assume. Uh, yes, they right. break that word down for you. <laughs> that's right. We're not going to break that down no, the show. No, that's not the purpose of the show. But we're not talking about that kind of assumption. What we're talking exactly. about is that she was taken right up to heaven. Right. And so we have to talk about the dis- the difference between two different words because we also have uh, a, a feast that would have the word ascension in it. Right. So we want to make sure people understand the difference between the word assumption and ascension. Good idea. Right. So Jesus ascended into heaven. Correct. And Mary was assumed into heaven. And I guess the, the, the main difference there is by whose power is this stuff happening. Right. When you ascend, right, You Jesus ascended. Pretty, he did it on his own power. Yeah, you're pretty much doing it on your own. He's God. So God ascended into mm-hmm. heaven. Right. Right. Well, when you are assumed, you're just kind of standing there and all of a sudden, you know. You're being taken. You are taken. Right. Into heaven. Not um, your power. That's exactly right. Not your power. So uh, it, is, it is actually your faith and your holiness. Right. 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 Uh, but your faith and holiness in God, whose power then would assume. And so we, we see that, and we actually see that a couple of times in Scripture. We're going to talk about that in, in just a second. But we do want to stress that this is one of the dogmas of the church. Here comes that word dogma. It's a big deal. Well, a lot of times we, we want to, uh, you know, get rid of that word and or we don't want to use it a lot because we're not sure what it means and but this is one of the 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 highest greatest defined teachings of the church when we when we say something as a dogma of right. the church yeah and we're obliged here comes that word again yeah to uh to wrap ourselves around that to right. to to believe that yeah to assent to 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 agree with that teaching when it's a dogma doesn't necessarily mean that, that one day the pope or the magisterium came along and said, "Hey, what about this?" Let's yeah, let's invent something. Yeah, they didn't just dream no, that up. No, that we're going to see historically that actually right. it comes out of our faith, right? right? That it's always been taught by the church. Right. But essentially, the most important word thing about that word dogma is that it is true, and right. that we are all if we're going to be in full communion with the church, we have to believe it. We have to assent to that teaching, yeah. whatever it is. Well, so in the this particular dogma, now a lot of people criticize mm-hmm. uh, the. The dogma of the assumption, mm-hmm. because it was actually defined in 1950 by mm-hmm. Pope Pius the Twelfth. Right, right. And this is one of the rare times in which a pope has exercised papal his, his um, papal infallibility. Right, right. Where he basically uh, infallibly proclaimed something to be true. Now, th- again, he didn't invent this teaching, and we're going to see in a few minutes. That this comes from way back early in the church. Exactly, that's always been a pious belief right. of the church. Right. Uh, in fact, in his his dogmatic proclamation, he actually borrows some of the language. What he says basically um, that in and there's a, a, a document called Munifi Sentissimus Deus. Spell it. Yeah, um, it's a long word, and we're yeah. not going to spell it because the show would be over. But in Munifi Sentissimus Deus, which is a big word. Uh, Hard to say. Th- yeah, but it's fun to say. <laughs> it is. That's why it's fun to be Catholic. You can say all these fun words. But there are people out there right now replaying that like over and over again, saying? trying, trying to get saying? the spelling exactly. down so they can Google it. That's right. Well, it's M-U-N, et cetera, et cetera. How about that? <laughs> so in this document in 1950, yes. essentially what he says is, uh, the Immaculate Mother of God, the ever-Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. Beautiful. Right? That she didn't. she was not corrupted. That she she was assumed, and um, body and soul. So her body's in heaven, her soul's in heaven, united. 
Correct. Right. Yep. And further, he goes on and, and makes us helps us to understand how important this is and why this is a, do, a dogma and why it's obligatory. And he and he says that if someone doesn't believe in this, he says, "quote That person has fallen away completely from the divine and Catholic faith." Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's serious. So when Pretty people, serious. yeah, when people say, "Well, I don't really go yeah. for that whole assumption thing," yeah, or there are other dogmas of Mary, right? There's also the Immaculate Conception, Perpetual Virginity, and Mother of God, right? And so people pick and choose those, but all of those carry that same weight. They're yeah. all dogmatically defined. That is serious. Right. So this is why if someone says, well, I don't believe that Mary remained a virgin her whole life, but I'm still a good Catholic. It's like, well, Pope Not Pius XII really. would say something different. <laughs> right. And so we would ask you then to, to pray about that and, yeah. and to look at this and see – do I really believe this? Or if I'm having difficulty, what am I having a difficulty about? Right. And, and pray over that and Absolutely. try to figure yep. out how to wrap your arms around that. Um, pray for grace the teaching. on that. Yeah. A- amen, brother. Uh, mm-hmm. cause I know there's difficulties in time, uh, you know, in, in, in our lives when we, we hear something, it's like, it just seems like it's counterculture, but you know, the church is countercultural. You're right. Right. So You're we right. have to kind of embrace, uh, the teachings of the church, uh, in, in this form and fashion. But, you know what I really want to kind of focus on, and this is an important topic, is I, I do want to ask this question. And All right. the question is, did Mary die? Does the church teach that Mary died? Big that, question. That's a tough question. It's a tough question. Uh, and, in fact, what's so interesting about that is... E- e- actually, either way, if she was assumed, right, it doesn't matter. No, you got, you, you got Am it right. Am I right? You are right on the money. The most important thing to understand is the church did not define it. In fact, listen to the language okay. that Pope Pius XII uses. He says, having completed the course of her earthly life. What does that mm-hmm. mean? He's kind of going around the bend there. He doesn't want to say, having died. Yeah. Why? Because there's actually a sweet and pious belief that she did not taste death. Think about this for a second. You know, the, the scriptures will tell us the wages of sin is what? Death. All right. So if she was immaculately conceived and she was protected from sin all she her life and perpetually death. a virgin, that she did not sin. And so sin would not lead her to death. Now, that's what some people can think. And you know what? It's a sweet and pious belief. In yeah. fact, in the Eastern Church, in the Eastern Church, they called this the Dormition of Mary. What does Dormition mean? They call the Feast of the Assumption well, the Dormition? They, they talk about the Dormition of Mary when they're, okay. when they're referring to what happened to her at the end of her earthly life got it okay right and so what they say is what dormition technically means is essentially the falling asleep interesting so there's the church of the dormition so they say that mary fell asleep yeah. which again now sometimes in scripture we hear the words fall asleep mm-hmm. and it actually means they died yeah but then another way of looking at this is a person falls asleep and they're not dead but then they're assumed yeah right so i guess the point is you can you can believe either way whether yeah. that she died, and but she was not corrupted, that it, upon her death, that then she was assumed into heaven. Well, either way, you, you still have a tough argument for, especially non-Catholics, on the whole assumption idea. Right. You know what I mean? Well, it's, I guess the point is people will start to get bogged down into the details. Which... When, you in can't. fact, you shouldn't. And, right. again, you should, as you said before, go back and focus on the fact that she was assumed in heaven, whether right. it was right. while she, after she had passed away. Right, which that's a tough enough concept to or get your head at around. Or the, at the end of the, you know, her earthly life, which right. doesn't necessarily mean that death. It just yeah. means that, well, when it was all done, when, when God was ready, when she was old, but however you want to look at it, She's out. she was assumed into heaven. 
Beautiful. And and uh, and again, we Which look if at I'm that, God and I'm Jesus, I'm doing that. Amen, brother. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Well, yeah. it sounds good, and we're going to talk more about this Great. and about whether or not she died. But we're going to go back into the scriptures. We're going to open up the scriptures, and we're going to look at also some of the early church fathers and what they say about this issue. When we come back, before I do that, I want to remind folks at home that we have a wonderful website www.thecatholiccafe and also I dot com yeah the dot com part is important yeah it's it? kind of yeah. natural now well and then also I want you to email me right send me an email to Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com and with that <laughs> we'll be right back I'm Bess Drzymski and this is another great moment in church history at dawn on December 9, 1531, on Tepeyac Hill near Mexico City, a poor Aztec Indian named Juan Diego was on his way to attend Mass. As he was walking, he heard a voice calling him. When he looked up, he saw a beautiful woman surrounded by a light as bright as the sun. The woman revealed herself to Juan as the ever-virgin mother of the true God. She then told Juan that she wanted a church to be built upon the very spot where they stood, where the people could experience her compassion and intercession. She instructed Juan to take her request directly to the Bishop of Mexico City. Unfortunately, the Bishop was not very enthusiastic. He dismissed the humble Juan, paying little attention to him. Juan returned to Mary and reported the Bishop's lack of interest. But not to be dissuaded, Mary sent one back to the bishop the next day. Again, he was dismissed. And again, Mary sent one back, asking for a third time the same favor. Finally, perhaps in an effort to rid himself of the constant pestering of Juan, the bishop asked for a sign to prove that it was truly the mother of God appearing to him. Mary graciously complied. On the morning of December 12th, Juan Diego passed by Tepeyac Hill once again, as he was in need of a priest for his dying uncle. Mary appeared to him and told him not to worry. His uncle was now miraculously healed and fully recovered. Instead, she told Juan to go to the top of the frost-covered barren hill, and there he would find some beautiful, fresh pink roses. In disbelief, after all it was December, he climbed the hill. To his amazement, as promised, there were the roses. Mary then arranged the roses in his tilma or cloak and sent him off to see the bishop once more. When Juan Diego arrived, he told the bishop about the roses. He opened his tilma and the roses spilled out onto the floor. The bishop was truly amazed, not at the roses, but at Juan's tilma. For on this garment was the miraculous image of Our Lady, just as she had appeared to Juan. The bishop fell to his knees in veneration and prayer. The shrine to our Blessed Mother of Mount Tepeyac was begun soon after. Juan Diego's tilma, still perfectly preserved, can be seen behind the main altar in the new basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe. St. Juan Diego was canonized by John Paul II on July 31, 2002. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm here with uh, pre-Deacon Tom Dorian. Present. And uh, I'm Deacon Jeff, and we are talking about Mary. We are. And we're talking about... And I just want to say again 
Muni fi centissimus Deus. <laughs> just because I like saying that. That is a cool word. Yeah, it is a cool word. And it's a cool document, and it tells us all about uh, Mary. Yes, and it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And so we should read that. We should. Right? Yes. You can go to uh, the Vatican website, mm-hmm. take a look at that. Yep. But also, let's talk more about this idea of death. And a lot of people... Uh, you know, come down very strongly on one side or the other. And, and you made the great point that it really doesn't matter. The most important thing is that she was assumed. But right. I do want to talk a little bit more about this concept of dormition. Yeah. Because one of the things that's nice about this is it helps us get this perspective for this feast. A lot of people think, well, if this was dogmatically defined in 1950, does mm-hmm. that mean that nowhere in the other early church did we believe this? No. You know, at any point in time. And so we have to remember that this was very, very, this is very old feast. The Feast of the Assumption goes all the way back, right. at least back to the, the sixth century. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously um, it didn't, when in the sixth century when they were saying it, it didn't sound like it was something brand new. No. That someone said, hey, I have an idea. You know, what about this or what about that? <laughs> right. You know, and so let's, let's uh, look at a couple of readings from some of the early church fathers. Um. St. Uh, Gregory of Tours, and he's someone who wrote back in AD 575. Mm-hmm. So this is way back when. Pretty early. This is early on. Yes. Right before I was born. In uh, a, a document called The Eight Books of Miracles, and this is, in, I guess, in book one. And it says, the apostles took up her body on a bier and placed it in a tomb, and they guarded it, expecting the Lord to come. And behold, again, the Lord stood by them, and the holy body, having been received... He commanded that it be taken in a cloud into paradise, where now, rejoined to the soul, Mary rejoices with the Lord's chosen ones. So this is in 575 A.D. It's beautiful. And there's many, many, many other folks that talk. And Well, here's one, there's uh, St. John Damascene, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and he wrote this. Uh, what, on, year, what year is that? This is uh, 697 A.D. Okay. Right? A hundred and something years later than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wrote this in the document called The Dormition of Mary. And he says, it was fitting that she, who had kept her virginity intact in childbirth, should keep her own body free from all corruption even after death. It was fitting that she, who had carried the Creator as a child at her breast, should dwell in the divine tabernacle. It was fitting that the spouse, whom the Father had taken to himself, should live in the divine mansions. It was fitting that she, who had seen her son upon the cross, and who had thereby received into her heart the sword of sorrow which she had escaped when giving birth to him, should look upon him as he sits with the Father. It was fitting that God's mother should possess what belongs to her son, and that she should be honored by every creature as the mother and as the handmaid of God. Fitting indeed. Yeah, now I will say what's really cool about that quote Mm -hmm. is is that we go back and we look and we look and we see all of the dogmas of Mary. You're right. All of the to- all the teachings of Mary. He just went through all of them. He talked about the immaculate conception, the perpetual virginity, Mary being the mother of God, and of course, this assumption. Yeah, that is. You're right. You're exactly so right. here we are. This is in the 8th century and we're pretty much defined all these things. Right. But it wasn't until 1950. Why now why is that? Why did it come well, out? Well, you there? know when when definitions take place, mhm then obviously the church is answering some need. And Pope Pius XII saw at this time, remember, we just come through World War II. Right. Right? Destruction. Yep. Uh, lots of evil, lots of bad. We've, we'd experienced the Nazis, and, and uh, the world was at war. Yeah. Right? And so here's a time where we need healing. 
Okay. And I think, I can't speak for him, but I think that this is at a time where he felt we need the Blessed Mother more than ever. And, you know, this is a sweet and pious belief. We need hope. And what does the assumption give us? It gives us hope. Right. In our own bodily resurrection. It helps us to see that we have a place to be yeah. with our bodies yeah. in heaven with sense. the Blessed Mother and with Jesus. So he's reminding us and the world. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think that's, you know, again, I'm not inside his head, and I, yeah. I don't know that, but it just seems to make sense to me. It does. You're right. Now, I know that you were telling me something about this idea of a dormition. There's another beautiful concept here we oh, want yeah. to talk about a little bit. Yeah, we talked about that. I, I heard a priest. This was neat. He, he, The way he defined dormition was it's almost like a lullaby. And picture... You know, your parent singing a lullaby to you, and you just slowly and quietly fall asleep. And that's what God did, was he just, he was singing this lullaby to, to Mary and slowly right. falling asleep and br- bringing her into his arms up into heaven. And uh, I just thought that was so beautiful. And that's so pretty. And you know what's, what's so neat is some of the early church fathers, some of the quotes, they actually talk about when they, the, the ones that talk about her having died, right. talk about opening her coffin yeah. after the assumption and finding nothing but roses. Oh wow, that's right? cool. And so you say, and so you hear that—that's—that that sweet, that the odor of uh, sweet uh, essence of the of the rose, right? Yeah. And, and the roses are so often associated with Our Lady. I know, right? And so you Lady see this Guadalupe. picture of right of this uh, of this uh, the dormition, this lullaby, yeah. this being sung to sleep. Yeah. And you know, wouldn't we all like to go that way? Oh heck yeah! Please. <laughs> you know, at the end of our earthly existence yeah. wouldn't it be nice to hear a beautiful well not just song we, we want ourselves to go that way but i want to see my loved ones go that way amen yeah so wouldn't Absolutely. god want his you know mary to go that now, way? now a lot of people might ask the question you know where is this in scripture i've got some of uh, some good uh holy protestant friends who always ask me that question you know where do i find this in the bible and what's interesting and one of the things i always point out is that while specifically stated Mm-hmm. The Assumption of Mary is not in the Bible, specifically called right. the Assumption of Mary. But interestingly, what the Bible does do is it opens the door to that. Right. Right. The Bible does allow for that to take place. Yeah. Because the Bible shows us in other occurrences where God would take someone body and soul into heaven. And I bet you're going to point it out. I'm going to point that out. In fact, let's uh, let's look at um, Hebrews 11.5. Let's. All right. Let's go there. And it says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was found no more because God had taken him. Before he was taken up, he was attested to have pleased God. So here's Enoch, a man who pleased God. And so the sacred writer of Hebrews is telling us that this man pleased God and God took him up. And actually he's making a reference back to Genesis uh, chapter 5, verse 24, where we read, Enoch walked with God Mm -hmm. and he was no longer here for God took him. Yeah. So here's a man, a good man that pleased God, that was assumed, not by his own power, but by God's power into heaven. God wanted him to be in heaven. Yeah, got a precedent there. Enoch, come be with me in heaven. Right. And Enoch didn't taste death. Right. We have another great example, right? Mm -hmm. We have, uh, we go back to 2 Kings Mm -hmm. chapter uh, 2, verses 11 and 12, and we read, And as they still went on and talked, behold, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. Hmm. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Wow. So Elijah, before the very eyes of Elisha, was taken up Mm -hmm. into heaven. It doesn't say that he died. Mm Mm-hmm. 
but he was taking his body in you know in a fiery chariot with fiery horses. Exactly. Now I don't know if I'd rather go with the fiery chariot and the fiery horses because that would be pretty darn cool. <laughs> or go go big. Or if I would lullaby <laughs> to sleep. I don't. I'm not really sure which one's better. But uh, I'm thinking either way, you're a winner. Yeah, you're exactly right. You're an athlete. <laughs> That's what I love about you, Tom. You see the uh, the end goal. You know, that's what it's all about. <laughs> it's foot. It's a life is a football game. I'm trying to get to that line. Yes, <laughs> get the ball across the line. <laughs> Amen. So we see in these scriptures, then we see that the Bible makes it possible. Right. The Bible doesn't say you can't be assumed into heaven. In fact, right. the Bible says the opposite. Right. And so now we as Catholics have no problem with this, primarily because we understand the Bible to be one source of God's revelation, right? Right, which is equal to another source of God's revelation, and that is sacred tradition. Exactly. The teaching, the constant teaching of the church passed down from the apostles and protected and guarded throughout the years for us. Right. And this was part of that constant teaching. Yeah. So we have no problem with it, but I know sometimes when you're talking to a Protestant, or someone else who's a doubter, even a Catholic who's a doubter, they start to go, well, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, they, it's, Show yeah. me in the Bible where exactly. I want to see these words. Yeah. Right? And and we can get into trouble that way, as we know we've done in other shows. We've talked about, well, if you, if you, if you want it to be that way, then you can't believe in the Trinity. It's not in the Bible. It, that word is not in the Bible. That's true. Right? You, you can't believe in the incarnation. You know, it's like there's things that you can't believe in because certain words are not found in the Bible. Exactly However, right. the doctrines are explicitly taught by the Bible, and they're they're taught by tradition. Yeah, and so we start to say, well, wait a second, this this actually makes sense. Yeah, uh, and it is taught by the Bible, and so that's why I've always said, and and it took me years to make sure this was true for myself. because yeah. I'm a doubter. I'm doubting Thomas, but the Bible well, never here's a study and prayer. That's we exactly said prayer right. earlier. That's exactly That's an important right. Important part of this. But never once does the Bible contradict Catholic teaching. The Bible is always in line with with Catholic teaching, and never let anybody tell you differently. Right. That's an important important concept because we have so many people who think that. Well, we just have to excuse this, even though it's in the Bible it says something different. We have to excuse this. Uh, because we believe it, and well, it's just kind of my personal belief, and it's like, no, yeah, you don't. Nah, you can't do it that way. Right. And and Mary's glorious assumption is one of those things. It's one of those beautiful gifts, one of those opportunities for us together, yeah, uh, to come together um, on a beautiful day and just realize that there's hope. You're right. And see, that's the that's the thing that w- this world needs, isn't it? It's hope. We do. You're right. Well, what we ought to do now is we're. I hope you understand more about the the assumption. Absolutely. Right. So what we're going to do now is we're going to close in prayer. Let's do it. And we're going to ask God to bless us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Mary, most holy and blessed example of Christianity. May we see in her the possibility and even the promise of our own bodily resurrection if only we walk with her in faith in the following of her son jesus christ our lord who lives and reigns with you and the holy spirit on god forever and ever amen thanks for listening to the catholic cafe if you'd like to contact deacon jeff send an email to deacon jeff at thecatholiccafe.com The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.